Welcome all my friends to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas and I sing every week. Wait, wait a minute. You guys are switch. Wait, that's not Paul. Howard, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> you know, every now and again, I feel like we need to mix it up and maybe we don't mix it up quite enough, but I figure since you guys mixed it up against me, I'd replace <laughs> Paul this week. And I've Welcome, brought on Chuck. My, my excellent new friend, Chuck. Thank you uh, very much. Chuck, nice to be here. We are we are very happy to have you. I'm 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 super excited to have you here. Um, Chuck and I met at Black Hat, uh, and immediately clicked um, because I've never heard anyone use as many Texasisms as Chuck uses. <laughs> Not That's embarrassingly accurate. Yeah. But it's an embarrassingly high number of Texasisms, right? Like, you know, I, I'm just a kitten trying to find. I'm just a kitten trying to find a tit with everybody else. Like, I could so I could hear you say it. I could almost hear you say that. Yeah. Um, so I went. You know, it, I'd like to have a guest on. There's some stuff we've been talking about lately, like API security, that I think is super appropriate. And I went, who would I get on? I think I'd like to have Chuck Chuck come on. So uh, so welcome, Chuck. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm happy to be here, although I'm as nervous as a long-tailed cat on a porch full of rocking chairs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. A little bit of your background, Chuck. Where are you coming from? Where you are right now? Your company? Right on. Absolutely. So uh, I've been in InfoSec for 20 years or so, um, a little, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I was a, an eighth grade math teacher for, for a while. Uh, loved that, but the parents and the, the administration absolutely drove me you know, nuts. So I uh, got into uh, security, got into pen testing, you know, built a pen testing practice, did that for, uh, for a while. And that was a lot of fun uh, until I joined a little company in 2004 named AIG. You, you may have heard of it um, back in the 2008 era that we were, uh, we were big. Um, not as big anymore after the, uh, after the, the collapse and the bailouts. Um, but I was there for a long time um, and uh, then went to uh, a company founded by AIG alumni called Athene. We, uh, we built a retirement services company based out of Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, went public in 2016. IP, Thompson Orders IPO of the year. Yay. Um, and, uh, and that was cool. And then my wife said that, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had enough of the Midwestern winters. Uh, I'm going back to Texas and I hope you want to come with me. And I decided that would probably be a good idea and uh, moved back down to Dallas to become the CISO for Texas Capital Bank. So I've been a CISO uh, and a defender of blue team for 18 years. Um, and then uh, just most recently built a, a fintech with a local investor here. I was employee number seven um, and CTO in, in the fintech space. And it was really that role and the, the, the previous you know, bank CISO roles that I got really interested and concerned about API security. And um, so one of the co-founders of uh, Texas Capital Bank uh, was investing or looking to invest in a, uh, a cybersecurity firm. And um, he called me one day and said, hey, will you come visit with me and, and help me with my, my due diligence, right? Because I'm a banker, I'm not a tech. You, you, you geek out about this stuff the whole time. And that's where I met the, the co-founders of WIP. So, uh, you know, co-founders are folks like the former CTO for the National uh, the Israeli National Cyber Directorate and, and some real pioneers in the API security industry. And uh, we talked for a while and I decided I, I didn't want to be a, uh, a defender, you know, just an operator anymore. Uh, I really wanted to, to get in and, and, and build something new. I really liked that. I really enjoyed that with the fintech. 
And that brings us basically to today. So I joined WIB as the CTO, and uh, we're, we're bringing uh, what we're calling the second generation of API security to the market, even though you know, uh, objectively probably less than 5 or 10% of the uh, CISO population is really that aware of the first generation of API security. So it's a big blind spot. It's a big, we're in a very much of a market education phase um, for, for the whole uh, space, but that's what brings me here today. That's what we were doing at Black Hat was talking about API security. So I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. So um, I got to ask, how helpful was teaching eighth graders in also educating boards? Because it seems like there might be some similarity Certainly of attention span. Yes, yes. Um, and, I, and, and further with dealing with the parents, uh, I think there was also some similarities uh, there as well. Um, but, it, you know, teaching eighth grade, honestly, if, if, if I could have just been left alone with my 104 kids, I'd probably still be there. I loved the kids. 13 years old is a funny, funny age. Um, you know, they open their mouth to voice an opinion and they're just as surprised as everybody else at whatever comes out, right? Um, so I loved the kids, but uh, you know, just being set up for for failure and not having any support is is rough, man. Like we got a real education problem. I just don't want to hear them talk about it today, but um, I would say that there are some commonalities that uh, some skills that uh, that help with explaining complex concepts, um, you know, in simple terms that that actually do translate, right? I mean, if you're explaining you know, geometry and trigonometry to a bunch of 13 year olds, you kind of have to boil that down. Yep. So, or a bunch of 30 year olds that have never used it. Same. Right. right. Year olds, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. I, I saw a comic probably a decade or so ago um, that, that had like when we were kids and it was the teacher and the parent on the same side of the table going, yeah. you did what? And now it's the other way around, right? It's the it's the student and the the parent on the same side of the table going, "You did what?" to the yelling teacher, at the, yelling at the teacher. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying either one is necessarily always right, but it certainly feels like it's been a light switch decision. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I've had a few situations where someone was amazed by that, right? Where. Um, like you go into a parent teacher conference and the teacher starts off and your kid starts off and you're like, well, since I see her for 16 hours of the day, you know, minus when we're both sleeping, I kind of know what reality is. And yeah, she didn't do her homework. And the parents like, no, no, I'm telling you, she didn't do her homework. And you're like, yeah, no, I know she didn't do her homework. And they're like, wait, you agree? Well, yeah, I'm a reasonable human being. And they're like, oh, I can't, I can't even, oh, can we just make this, today? I could really use a break, you know? Um, in my doctor, I did the same thing with, with my doctor, right? I live in a kind of a conservative town and, you know, we move out and we get a pediatrician and we go in to meet with the ped for the first time. And, and they're like, okay, so for your kid to start school, they're going to need this vaccine and this vaccine and this vaccine. And we went, okay. And they went, okay, so you need to understand the job that vaccines do. And I went, no, no, no. I mean, okay, as in give her the shot, not okay, as in continue your sale. And she goes, you mean you're just going to do the vaccines? Well, yeah, they work. Why would I not? Yeah. Like, have Science. they changed recently and they've stopped working? Is the, right. Do we need to have an efficacy conversation? Like, yes, she's likely to have flu-like symptoms after them. Oh, you know that already. Yeah, yeah, yes, I had vaccines. I am fully vaccinated. I'm aware of how they work. You're not going to fight me on it. 
do you, like now I'm confused. Do you want me to fight you on it? Yeah, right, right. Uh, I came is in that, for a confrontation, I, not an argument. Are you looking for an argument? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, look, Doc, you just need to understand. I know for a fact your PhD is better than mine because I got mine from Google. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I come to you because you're the expert. If, no. if, if you're not the expert, let me know. I'll go find another expert. But I'm not the expert. So, yeah, of course I'm going to do the vaccine. Let, let me point out the striking lack of polio in this room today. <laughs> right, right, right. No, that's not smallpox. We don't have measles. Like, as far as I could tell, this stuff actually works. Right. So, uh, let, yeah, me ask, yeah. let me ask you a question. Yeah. Is there a vaccine for your APIs? Something that you can knock them out and you, <laughs> and you can <laughs> about that? So, so, Chuck, you'll know that I took a hard right rather than head towards the topic we were going to discuss today. That's actually part of the fun we have with Carlos on every one of our episodes is we try to see how, like how far down the rabbit hole away from the topic can we go before Carlos tries to pull us back? And what does that transition look like? Before he just snaps and, and brings, does. brings us back on point. He does. He's Got like, it. look, you're not, none of you are beautiful enough to be influencers. We need to be on topic or we're going to lose our audience. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a fair point. And, and then so, so with respect to, to APIs and the vaccine or the magic pill, um, you know, it, it would be great if I could say that there was and that I could be honest about saying that, that there was. Um, and the reality is we, we have a, a, a series of problems uh, in the API security space. It's not just one thing. And while, you know, companies like mine and, and my research teams and, and my R&D folks, you know, smart people working hard to try and find, uh, you know, a silver bullet right now, the best we can do is a bunch of lead bullets um, and, and really figure out how to, you know, how to break the problem down in solvable ways. Um, and, you know, what's, what's challenging to me as a, as a 20 year veteran, you know, a, a buyer is, is going to conferences or events and hearing, you know, companies talk about their, quantum mesh, blockchain, nexus, AI driven, whatever. And, and I'm like, you, you don't know how that works. And you think that I don't know how that works. And, and it, unfortunately, in spaces like the one that, that we're in right now with, with APIs, we, I don't think we need FUD. I don't think we need, um, you know, misinformation. It's like, it's a, it's a serious issue. And I'm worried about it from a a critical infrastructure perspective, from a national security perspective, from a health and wellness perspective, like we've got medical records and everything, like tons of, of, you know, new valid, powerful use cases for the use of APIs. So it's a little bit like a, a one-legged man chasing a rabbit. Um, like the, the APIs are proliferating way more quickly than, than DevOps and security teams are able to find them and govern them and, and put any kind of sanity in place. And so the, the longer that this goes on, the, the, the further apart they get, right? The one-legged man and the rabbit. It's actually just worsening right now. And so what we're trying to, to do is, is come up with ways, like practical, reasonable ways, grounded in security fundamentals that, um, that we can help companies catch up and then keep up with their API ecosystem. But it's, it's, not, a trivial, it's not a trivial problem to solve. And, and you know, bluntly, anybody that tells you they do have a vaccine for it, they're, they're selling vaccines or they're selling... They're selling water uh, in syringes. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know which. So, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah. It's there, there is a there's a really good Texas comparison that you had me think of, and it's like the feral hog problem in Texas, right? Um, I, I don't care how good you are at it. 
right? You and your lever action, no matter how good you are at it, feral hogs out, out reproduce you. Yeah. Right. And it's a problem because you ranch in any way, shape or form, feral hogs destroy everything they want to eat, everything they want to drink and dig holes that they fall in and break stuff. Right. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of killing things. It's not something that I enjoy. But when things turn feral, you don't have a choice. Yeah. Right. Well, um, yeah. And there's no fence you can build that keeps a feral hog out. No. At least not that anybody's found. No. Right. No, there's, no, no, there's no 300, 350 pound hogs. Yeah. Forget yeah. It. No, no. They're just, they're, they're solid muscle and bacon. Um, yeah. So, so what do you do? Well, you call in the biggest army you can get your hands on, right? You advertise to idiots that live in other states to come do a hog hunt uh, and pay you for the privilege of helping you deal with a feral pro hog problem. That's right. Right. Um, in this case, right, if we, if we look at the APIs as the feral hog, um, yeah, if you look at your software stack, I promise, look back 10 years, the number of APIs that you have have reproduced like they're feral hogs. Yes. Right? And the chances are, if you're at the top of the chain and you think you know how many APIs you have because you did a count three weeks ago, that number has changed, right? I'm Unless you've been hard focused on that security problem and thus any use of any API anywhere for any reason requires a governance board conversation, which I don't know anybody that's really doing or, or able to enforce, um, you don't know how many APIs you have today. You yeah. might have an idea, but you're probably not right. And not being right means... Uh, you're trusting the wrong thing. Right? Yeah, kind of when, when trust isn't warranted at all. No, no, no. And, and it's there's a fundamental difference in the two sides of the coin, right? You have software developers writing to APIs mm -hmm. whose default behavior is trust. Yeah, sure. They the trust box. I need, uh, to do, I need to get this information. I need to move this information. I need to query a status on something. This API gives me that thing that I need. Therefore... I'm just going to write to it without, without really taking into consideration. That's not nearly all that it does. Well, yeah, th there's another hundred features behind it that you, oh, well, I didn't need that today. So I'll just ignore it, but it's still there. Uh, right. And yeah, it's creating that app to your backend systems and data. Yep. Yep. Versus then you have security whose default is not to trust. Right. Right. I don't want to trust anything. I don't have to. Well, that makes for a heck of a big language problem. Yeah. Right. Because if I have so. to change my software development team to default of not trust, I'm going to give up before it happens. Just, just to be honest. Right. I can't, that, that's such a fundamental change in how software developers operate. Or I'm going to say, whatever our release schedule, it will be one twelfth of that. Right. And I'm okay with that. Right. Right. But I can't say you can't trust and you have to produce at the speed that you're at, which by the way, we've all, we all agree is too slow. I don't care what <laughs> right. 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 Amazon's releasing 65,000 code updates a day. They didn't, they didn't get to 6,500 and go, that's fast enough. You all can just sit here. They went, no, no, no. You need to go faster. Then they got to 65,000 and they went, you realize we're not done yet, right? I expect 72,000 in three months. Exactly. Right? We're still so, half of our goal of 130,000 a day. Right. Come on, guys, get back to work. Right. And I promise when you hit 90K, we're going to go, well, we're ahead of that goal. So I guess 130,000 wasn't enough. That's right. That's right. We can clearly uh, do 180. For yeah. sure. For sure. It's so easy. Um, you said something really interesting before this started. Um, and I kind of want to touch on it because I think it's an important thing for our audience to understand, regardless of where they sit in the space.
Why do CISOs lose their job? Oh, yes. Um, so in, in my experience, more CISOs lose their job due to a loss of confidence or a lack of confidence in them than any breach, right? So, um, you know, I, I do a lot of speaking with uh, board members and, you know, built relationships with a lot of board members over the you know, past two decades, uh, as well as regulators and, and, and folks that are responsible for, for governance and oversight and making sure that someone else is, is doing their job. And in areas like InfoSec, where you know, board members aren't necessarily technical, some are for sure, but majority are, are you know, finance and business experts, not tech, you know, information security experts. They've got a lot of skin in the game. They've got personal accountability and they need to know that the person that they are depending on to secure their, their environment, their ecosystem, their company is up to the task. And, um, you know, one thing that we put out at, at WIB was a bunch of uh, questions about, you know, these are questions that your board members and regulators are going to be asking you about API security so you don't get caught blindsided and not able to answer questions about this, what Gartner is predicting is going to be the number one attack vector in 2022 um, because that lack of confidence, that loss of confidence, you know, the first, the first thought out of a, you know, a CEO or a, a you know, a head of internal audit is, I don't know if I got the right guy for this. I don't know if I got the right girl for this. Um, if you don't readily know the answer to something that they, you know, read a magazine article about or they watch a webinar about or something like that, you know, they, they don't know if they've got the right person. Meanwhile, they're carrying personal accountability for your performance. So if they don't act on that loss of confidence, it's a failure to supervise. Um, so they're, they're kind of backed into a corner. It's, it's a tough gig to have, you know, that kind of accountability without necessarily the knowledge or understanding or background to really be able to discern, you know, how, how well something is done or how poorly something is done. So it's that confidence that really is, is massively important. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's, uh, so I, first off, I totally agree with you, right? Um, we're selling trust. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and it doesn't matter where you sit in the security space. If you don't realize that what you're doing is selling trust, you're making a huge mistake. Right. right. And that trust may be the trust that you have the technical capabilities to do the job. Sure. But if you have the technical capabilities and you haven't instilled the trust, you haven't done the job. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Right. Sure. Boards are now to the point where it's not if, it's when. Ten years yeah. ago, it was if. If we get hacked, what do we do? If we get hacked, how bad will it be? Now, it's just how bad will it be? Because they know it's going to happen. Yep. And I would add to that, when it happens, will we look like responsible corporate citizens who were the victim of a crime? Or will we look like idiots that never deserve to have that data in our possession in the first place? Correct. One of those is a defensible position. The, the other is like we've seen examples. I don't even need to name the names because you, you guys know them of, you know, why do they even have my data to begin with? It, you, you, you know, you, you look like a bunch of fools. And what's even worse is why do they have that data? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like I didn't give them that data. Why do they have that? How does that have how is that material to the contract that we entered into? Not to start yeah. a GDPR con conversation, but let's be honest, right? If we were all the data custodians we needed to be, there would not have been need for GDPR. Right. That's exactly right. The, the so, reason that exists as a, as a framework is because that we, the citizenry, uh, you know, in this case, the European Union, needed our representatives to enforce this custodianship and with, with serious penalties, 4% global revenue, like serious downsides for messing uh, up. 
let's let's be clear. It's not just four percent of global revenue. It's four percent of global revenue of the parent company. Yes, correct. <laughs> you can't hide all of your data ownership in some poorly funded subsidiary. You're not allowed to do that, right? Um, when I worked at Hitachi, what I talked about was this is not global revenue of Hitachi Ventara, a $4 billion company. This uh, is global revenue of Hitachi Limited, a $400 billion company or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be the person that says, hey, um, my subsidiary, yeah, we lost more in fines this year than we brought the parent company in revenue. Yeah, that's a bad day. That's right. Because if they're, if they're, I think there were, I think there were a hundred billion, right? But that's still that's that's maximum yeah. fine at four billion. Okay, so that's what we bring in in revenue, not 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 profit, not anywhere. Reminds else. me of that movie Hot Shots where the guy wrecked the fighter. He's like, yeah, but I'm paying it back at ten bucks a week. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> yeah, it is interesting to note that the fines in the first two years of GDPR were greater than all of the fines that have been levied under HIPAA up to that point by more than a factor of 10. Yeah, that right. doesn't surprise me. By more than a factor of 10, right? Um, and, and, and it's not just the EU that needs it. It's just the EU that's taken the action to create it, right? Right. Um, California took the action to, to do things similarly. Um, what's interesting about California's is they leave it completely open for civil uh, action by the affected parties as well. Um, and, and, and it's super interesting kind of the way the law works um, in many places, including in the U.S. Um, you have to be able to show actual damages. Stole my data is not an actual damage. Right. Right. And what California does is it opens it up to quantify those damages, even without being able to show actual damages. Right. So it's super interesting kind of this what we're starting to see. Um, and what that really means is you as a data custodian, need to really take a look at not just what are you intending to do, but what is possible with, within the context of the systems and data that you've made available. And that's where API security starts to really become frightening. Yeah, right? yeah that's exactly yeah. right. Right? If the API is open, but your mobile app provides all the security, so it's not a problem, it's a huge <laughs> problem. Yeah. Right. You, you may be disappointed at exactly how much that mobile app is is doing um, with its, you know, embedded credentials and embedded API keys, and we see all kinds of stuff in in the, the space where the, the front end systems are, are you know, are people for some reason trust, you know, user supplied uh, input. And yeah. it's, it's terrible. Are we right? going? Are we going back to the time that we were embedding credentials? on the web pages to make the connections and like to access the APIs. Yeah. Very similar. similar. Very yeah. similar. Yeah. Almost identical. So the, I, th I think, you know, one of the fundamental problems in application security, web security has always been that the, somebody on the outside can submit anything that they want and, and your application has to be able to handle that and deal with that. Um, the, the challenge is, that, you know, no developers, it's not reasonable to hold developers to a standard of anticipating every potential abuse case possible. Um, and with APIs, it's, it's even more profound because the, the systems that we've been using for the last 10 or 15 years to, uh, to guard our, our web apps, what I call, you know, 
putting our 98 pound weekly inside a bulletproof limo, right? If you've got a, a flawed and faulty web app, but your, your WAF that you put in front of it, your web application firewall can handle the OWASP top 10. Well, the devs don't fix anything then, right? They, they put their bulletproof limo around their 98 pound weakling. And the problem is APIs roll that window down by design. You're, you're, you're exposing business logic directly and the WAFs can't understand it. And API gateways are useful for some things like rate limiting and the way you manage authentication. They're not without, you know, without their benefits, but they don't understand attacks on business logic and, and they can't, right? Well, so so well, WAFs don't like evaluating a WAF by its ability to protect against something like BOLA uh, is like evaluating a fish by its ability to ride a bicycle. It was just never designed to do that. It may be a perfectly good fish, um, but it doesn't understand these logic-based attacks that we're, that we're worried about in the API space. Yeah, your, your, your WAF is really good at managing things that are considered to be malformed. Yeah, right. But not unintended. Correct. It doesn't understand yeah. <laughs> that distinction. It is not malformed, yet it is unintended by the developer and gives away the keys to the kingdom. That's right. That's right. right? And that's, so, what that's exactly right. Yep. And so your bulletproof limo, right? It still has door handles on the outside. So your WAF is going to say, do the door locks exist? Yes. If the door locks are engaged, are they working? Yes. But it's not going to mandate that the doors are locked because right. they have to be able to unlock from time to time. And therefore, that seems like proper, that seems like not malformed. The door locks are operating, right? Did someone pick the door lock? Ah, okay. So the WAF is going to get involved again. Right. Right. Did someone right. insert a key into the lock, turn it and open the door? Yes. Should they have been able to do that? Well, it wasn't intended because they weren't the driver of the car, so they shouldn't have had the key, but the key was made to operate. So yes, it works. So the WAF is going to do nothing. Right? right. And and it is, it is in fact that, right? And what we're relying on is security through obscurity again, which we've said for at least 10 years, if not 15 or 20, that security through obscurity is not security at all. It doesn't work. Right? And it still doesn't work, right. even though we've been saying it for 10 years. You know. yeah, yeah, people still don't listen. <laughs> but that's right. Saying, saying security through obscurity is not security doesn't work, but it still is true. It's still true. Right? Yeah. And, and, and yet that's what API security really is focusing on is, is there's a ton of things that help you deal with malformed. There's a ton of things that help you deal with malicious, malicious through exploit. There's not right. a ton of things that help you deal with Malintentioned, Correct. as in, I wrote this with a specific intent, and this doesn't match the intent, but it is still not malformed. So the API is going to respond to it. Exactly. That's where the problem lies. That's where the struggle lies, and also that's where the complexity lies. Because what does that look like? Yeah, right? you're not going to develop AI to solve that problem in the near term. No. Because how does the no. AI know this is a perfectly good? challenge in response to this API, but it is unintended. That's right. The that, best thing that, that the AI and ML can do is alert you that something is unusual, that something right. is unexpected. It's not part of, because most API traffic is normal. It's, 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 you know, it's repetitive. It's the same thing, right? What, whatever the, the structure is of the requests and the responses, it's, it's normal stuff. So, so the, the machine learning can tell you when something deviates from that normative base, but to, to do that, you have to know what normal looks like uh, in right. your environment. And you have to, so you have to be looking. 
And I think the single biggest problem in API security is that, that we aren't looking and we don't even know how many APIs we have. Um, and it's, this is another area where, you know, we don't need drama. Um, I think 50 to 60% of APIs are unmanaged. And when I tell CISOs that, you know, it's, it, they tend to say, I don't know, that sounds kind of high. And I talk to DevOps leaders and you're like, oh, that's gotta be way less. It's probably, yeah, <laughs> it's probably 90%. That's like, we don't know how many APIs we have. How would I even know? How are you managing the API for your storage controller? Right. How Which, are you managing the API for your insert name of thing? Right. How are you managing the API for the door security controller? Right. You know what I mean? And, let's take let's take software development completely out of it. That's that's what I love about this conversation. Oh, I don't need that because I don't do any software development. All of our software is bought third party. Okay. That's worse. Between the security <laughs> and their APIs, because now. Now you're just ignorant. Like, like, and I'm not saying that like you're, a, you're attempting to be ignorant. I'm just saying you're willfully not addressing the issue right? because you think you're safe when in fact the, the opposite is true, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, now it's the lead paint issue. They'd never sell it if it was dangerous. Well, how many buildings do we have with asbestos in it still, right? right? How many people die from asbestos a year still, right? Of course they'd sell it if it... If, if, if it was dangerous, they may not know it's dangerous. And, and to be honest, many of the APIs aren't dangerous by nature. They're dangerous by implementation. Correct. Right. And that's kind of the other challenge, right? They wrote them with a specific purpose. It's purposes. No one writes an API to do one thing, but it's purposes um, that they expected everyone to have, a, have as good an understanding of the API as they did when they wrote it to write to it and and nothing could be further from the truth exactly right, right. Well, even it's like how many apis do you know that still contain commands that they know to be poor commands that haven't been deprecated because their biggest customers still use that version and won't update the app it's not a different api they didn't rewrite a new api and leave that deprecated version around just for code that they that they release on their github just for that particular customer no, of course they don't do that. They just roll that right into the API. Why? Because you can only manage so much code base. You can only manage so much version control. You can only manage so many forks, right? And yet that's a huge problem. Why? Because that's available to all of us that use that API. Exactly. And if you're a big, and if you're a big software provider, and then, then you have to write to provide the capability to satisfy innumerable use cases. Which it, so so the, the possibilities are are just you know way more. Let's so give them a real example. Uh, the the fintech that, that we built here in Dallas. We had banking, mortgage, and insurance as as the the three product suites. Just one of those platforms, just one, had over six thousand endpoints. And for my business case, for my use case, I needed about thirty of them. Okay. So. What am I going to do with these other 5,970 endpoints, all of which provide, you know, functions and ways to interact with my backend systems and my real data? I'm like, I don't need these. Can I shut these off? No, we give these as, you know, a, a broad feature set in case our customers want to do things in the future. I don't want to do anything with those now. So I've got to monitor, you know, literally, what, what is that, 30 to less than 2%, you know, I've got, I've got to monitor, you know, almost a hundred times, a hundred percent more of the attack surface than I need to. And, you know, I know we're all here on this call, we're all of a, of a similar vintage, right? And so 
the old school threat modeling, I think, you know, for those who've been doing it for a while, that's just the way I think of things, right? I need assets, actors, interfaces, and actions. Who's doing what to what via what? And then I need to know what, you know, at the, at the trust boundaries, and if you're zero trust or, or really zero trust and trust boundaries around everything, but, um, you know, you need to understand how bad actors can abuse those services, right? Spoofing, tampering, repudiation, information disclosure, denial of access, escalation of privilege. Um, and the, the I in API is interface. And, and if I've got, you know, 5,970 more interfaces exposed than the 30 that I need, and I can't shut them down. You know, the, the, I probably don't control the environment them. and really keeping an eye on it. It becomes very challenging. Yep, and I don't control them. Yeah, they're not mine, right? right. I, I bought them. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't build them. Infrastructure for them. They're they're provided to me as a service. Correct. Right? API as a service. Like like think about it from that perspective. If look, if it's an API that I control, it runs all in my environment. Even if I didn't write the API itself. There are things I can do to layer security controls into that, right? That I have control over. You do that as a service. I no longer have control over any of that. I control none of that infra. That's right. Right. And so by what controls do they have available? What restrictions can they put in place? How rudimentary or detailed are those? Right. And so now it's more than just I need to I need to change my the way my software developers write. Now it's I need to change the way I acquire those APIs to begin with. Right. There's right. a material supply chain aspect of this. Absolutely. So do we have a way for, let's say, a tech executive to start understanding or thinking what they should start looking to protect their environment? If they're on the cloud, is there some kind of methodology or something like how I said internally, there may be some things, ways, solutions that you may be able to apply, but I'm just thinking like, is there something that could start like starting to put some boundaries around it? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there are. And, um, so, so fundamentally, you're going back to the security principles that we're that we're trying to bring to the to the marketplace in the way that we think about this, is the the first thing to do, like whether whatever framework you use, critical security controls or NIST or whatever, the first thing is identify, right? Fundamentally identify your your attack surfaces and your exposure points. And what we've learned about uh, APIs is they can be really tough. They can be really tough to find all of them. Um, and so they're the, the pioneers of the industry, the, like the first movers, and some of whom work with me at, at WIB, you know, some of the first people to ever work in the API security space, um, they started by putting a traffic lens to it. And I think that's a valuable lens, but it doesn't give you everything that you need because um, the analogy that, that we use uh, within, within WIB is uh, the difference between a spotlight and sunlight, right? So, so if you hear something go bump in the night and you go out on your front porch and you know, whether it's feral hogs or in my case, the other night, coyotes, uh, after our baby turkeys that we're raising for Thanksgiving, um, you know, I've got, a, I've got a spotlight and that, that will show you where you know to look or where you think that you should look. Uh, the problem is you don't always know where you, where you should look. Um, and security over the last several decades has earned um, being excluded from developers, including security uh, teams in the development process because we slow everything down we make everything harder than it needs to be we don't understand development right you know just, just broad brush commentary 
Um, so, so what we try to do is, is really put as many lenses to the API ecosystem as we can, and then compare what we see across those different lenses to get as close to a version of the truth as we can. And then we apply context. So every alert, you know, I've, I've asked my teams, every alert that goes to a customer needs to have three components. What, so what, now what? Um, so this is the thing. This is how important we think the thing is. And this is what we think you should do about the thing. Um, and we need to apply that context because if you start sending alerts that are full of false positives, you're not helping your customer. You're making their jobs harder. You're if you've got a CISO that is, the, it is your buyer and his new API security platform starts spamming developers with a bunch of you know, false positives or erroneous you know, issues that aren't really issues, they're, they're just going to shut down. They're not going to do anything. So get to the actionable intel, harden that attack surface, shrink the attack surface. And then build a baseline for what normal looks like. Uh, and then we, we, we actually look, we're looking in traffic and we're looking uh, as importantly in code. And then we use simulated attacks to give us validation of how serious is something. So just because we were scanning like a GitHub repo or, or GitLab or Bitbucket or whatever, and something looks like BOLA, right? Broken object level authorization. Doesn't mean that it necessarily is. It doesn't mean that it's actually vulnerable. So we have to validate that. And then that's the difference between you have BOLA exposed to the outside world or you have a poor coding practice and you need to adjust the way that you write your code. Um, and those are two very different criticality levels, very severity levels. Uh, and that's really the way we approach the problem. Get your arms around it, shrink your attack surface to expose only the services that you intend to expose because the rest is just unrewarded risk, right? Um, and then harden that is that surface that you expect to expose or publish to the outside world, right? So patch it and make sure that it's not vulnerable to the attacks that we're looking for, and then keep up with it. And so once we actually start looking in the code bases, we can do things like every time we see a commit, we'll, we'll take a snapshot and update. Uh, this is what changed from this version to the other. This is the risk impact. This is who made that change and so forth and so on. Um, and the, the fact is it's, it's kind of an iterative process and it takes, it takes some, you know, takes some legwork to get to that point. But once you're caught up, then you can manage it, right? Then your change management programs, your asset management programs, your vulnerability management programs. If you're an enterprise, you already have these things. They just had a blind spot when it comes to APIs. I don't want my customers to stand up an API security program. I want to give them the Intel they need so that their existing programs cover APIs because 91% of web traffic is APIs now. This isn't a separate thing. This is your infrastructure. This is your, you know, your, your lifeblood. So, but unfortunately it's a big blind spot. So that, that's how we go about it. Long answer, but it's, we do have a methodology a, for this. Not just a big blind spot. It is a big spot, mm -hmm. right? And, and for those of our listeners that are confused by zero trust, this is why zero trust exists. Yes. Not API security specifically, but API security is a huge one, right? It exists for all of the things that it's impossible to know all of the things about. Exactly. And, and APIs, you know, because if they follow if they follow the standards the way they should, are, are stateless. So every you know every request that you make of an API, you have to send everything, including this is who I am, this is why I'm authorized to do this, and things like that which makes impersonation and attacks easy. You know, uh, if I know how you prove who you are, it's kind of all trivial. I have to do is impersonate that. It's kind of trivial, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it really is. 
Um, and that's, well, that's, that's and that, those are the case studies that we show in the conferences, right? That we we try to to make this less abstract and more concrete. With this is what we actually see in the wild, and this is how we addressed it with that customer. And there's there's a big sense, you know, talking to the the DevOps folks and CISOs and security operators, like that could have been us. Absolutely, could have been us. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it, it could. So that, you know, the point's not to make people feel bad, but it's to to say, oh, this is how this really happens in the real world. Um, and then these are the ways we can learn from other people's experience rather than having to, to do it all yourself, right? So experience is, is a great teacher, but the tuition is high. That's if true. I can learn from somebody else's experience, man, I want, I want that lesson. Um, absolutely. Well, that was a good chat. That definitely is a topic that every executive It's not about the technology. I think that that's what happens. That sometimes people think, oh, that may be too complex. I think that we have said we manage risk yeah. for a company. And our decisions are the ones that are going to help the company move forward with less risk or be aware of, hey, there may be something that we need to take into consideration. So, Chuck, thank you very much for being with us. Um, looking forward to next week. I think that Paul will be back. If not, um, we will find someone else that look like Paul so we can be <laughs> here with us. Um, but my friends, as always, don't just listen to this. Take the time, take your notes, share it with someone, share it with somebody on your team. Take the time to, hey, I have a question. Leave us a question on any of the platforms and we will answer it. I'm looking forward to see you next week right here on our show. So we'll see you, my friends. Thanks, everyone. Be safe out there.